Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Everyone seems so happy at the birth of a baby. They're just so cute and cuddly. The reality is, however, that everyone born into this world is born a sinner. But the even greater reality is that our first birth pales in its insignificance in comparison to our being born again. We are physically born naturally, but we are spiritually reborn supernaturally. That term to be born again has been often misused. Many like to point to a particular time or event when they think that they made a decision to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And thus they are quite proud of their supposed good choice and action. And so they celebrate a specific day and perhaps even a specific time of being born again. But being born again does not depend on our actions. Being born again is totally dependent upon God's free grace. St. Peter writes in his first epistle, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And so if we rightly understand our inability to lift ourselves out of the sewer of our sin we gather around this living and enduring Word of God to discover and to learn that every believer is indeed born again, but not naturally. In today's Gospel lesson, Nicodemus, a Jewish leader and teacher, comes to Jesus, whom he acknowledges to have done many miracles. He wants to learn more about Jesus. Now, it was assumed in Jewish teaching of that day that a person who did miracles meant that they had no sin. Well, Jesus had performed several miracles, of course, and that made him, in the eyes of the Jewish ruling council, supposedly someone who had no sin. And that made made him rather like them, for they were the pious keepers of the law. But there was far more to Jesus than these mistaken notions of Nicodemus and his colleagues. Jesus points out to Nicodemus that he must be born again. Nicodemus, of course, expresses doubt about how this might come to be. And he is right in one sense, in the natural sense. One cannot enter the womb to be born again. Jesus agrees to that. Yet to be born in the way that Jesus meant was not by natural means. And Jesus scolds Nicodemus for his lack of understanding. To be born again is a divine mystery of salvation. Jesus compares it to our inability to fully comprehend the wind. Now in spite of even our advanced meteorology today, we still don't understand exactly how the wind works. Just as it always has, the wind seems to do what it wants and goes where it wants, as God allows. 
And so it is with God's Holy Spirit too. The breath, the ruach in Hebrew, the pneuma in the Greek. Still, Nicodemus is not quite certain. Now soon his eyes of faith will see and he will become a believer. So strong will become his faith, in fact, that he will even risk the ire of the rest of that council in order to participate in Jesus' burial as he works side by side along with Joseph of Arimathea to prepare Jesus' body for the tomb. Now, Nicodemus' desire for simplicity and for clarity, rather than trusting God even in situations that are ambiguous, is not unique to his age. In our day, too, when many people want easy answers in black and white, the spiritual rather than the rational nature of faith, can often remain a complete mystery to many. And many do indeed, on account of that, refuse God's gift for no other reason than that they insist that faith and God's plans be fully understood by them, and on their own terms, of course. This is not only highly unfortunate, it's also quite sinful. It places us as human beings in judgment of God, usurping His authority and substituting our own. What's more, all too often, people try to make God into something that He is not. Some want God to bless them and not to bless others. Some want God to help them get even with their enemies. On the other hand, People are often happy when they feel that God has come through for them, thinking that they've somehow influenced His behavior. But then as soon as they think that God has failed them, that He is not doing exactly what they want and on their timetable, many then blame Him and turn away. St. Paul described this phenomenon in his letter to the church at Ephesus. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Another reason that so many set aside faith is that our society thinks that it is very self-sufficient, or at least it likes to celebrate that supposed trait or accomplishment. It's a common belief that with hard work and determination along with opportunity and a few fortunate random breaks, anyone can make himself or herself into someone great. And if this indeed happens, then that person begins to think that they don't have to depend on anyone else for anything. And if we admit it, deep down, none of us wants to be obligated to anyone else. Well, this same attitude can carry over into spiritual matters, into matters of eternal salvation. After all, who really needs God to be saved, they think? And haven't we all heard this false statement? If I just try hard enough and live a good enough life, that should be good enough to get into heaven. Or we might occasionally be guilty of the sin of trying to convince ourselves that maybe we haven't really been so bad in this life and God won't keep us out of heaven. At least we aren't as bad as others, we reason. Those are very dangerous thoughts and sentiments. Psalm 49 tells us, No man can redeem the life of another 
or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. No one can save oneself either. Not by works, not by good intentions, not by money. Instead, our loving Lord has made salvation quite simple. It does not depend on man's efforts. Your eternal salvation is far too important to God to entrust it to you or to anyone else among mankind. After all, Adam and Eve managed to ruin a perfect world. We dare not think that we can do any better. Scripture clearly indicates that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and there is no alternative solution. This is the simple message of salvation. A message that is just too simple to be considered by those who think themselves wise in the ways of the world. It's the observation that St. Paul made when writing to the Corinthian church. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross, that instrument of horrible torture and painful death, has become, for those of us who believe, the very power of God. And it is through that cross of Jesus that we are truly born again. Not naturally, not by human wisdom or human standards, but spiritually. And so Jesus had a rather daunting task in trying to convince Nicodemus to see him and to understand him with eyes and with a a heart of faith. And even though he was a leader in the religious life of the children of Israel of God's very chosen people, Nicodemus still did not understand. It would be very hard for Nicodemus to understand spiritual things when he did not even believe the earthly things just yet. And that's because Nicodemus and most of the rest of the people did not truly recognize Jesus for who and what he is. They saw him only as a miracle worker. And so to help Nicodemus understand, Jesus reminds him of Moses. Moses had lifted up that bronze serpent for Israel. And many in Israel were temporarily saved from suffering and from death by trusting in this sign given by God. The Son of Man would be lifted up in a similar way, Jesus said. But this time, the lifting up of God's sign would redeem the entire world and would save the world from eternal suffering and death. And the big question in all of this is, why did God provide any salvation at all, at any time, whether to Adam and Eve or Noah, to Isaac from the knife, to Joseph from slavery in Egypt, to Moses and the people of Israel in the desert, or to David from Goliath, or to Samson from the lions, or the Philistines, or to you, or to me. No one deserves it. No one can earn it. But Jesus came anyway. And in his incarnation, his life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, he came to save and not to judge. Jesus will indeed judge, but not in his first visitation. 
It will be later, on the last day, that Jesus would come and judge all people for eternity. So Jesus describes to Nicodemus the miracle of being born again by water and the Word. You have experienced that same miracle. Believers are washed by the water and imprinted with the name and with the powerful Word of God. It is a gift given out of the love of God. And only because of His love are believers made and believers saved. No one can save himself. God has squarely placed the incredible burden of your eternal salvation upon His own shoulders. It is far too important for Him to entrust to us, for we would only mess it up. And so we rejoice and we are very thankful that our eternal destiny does not depend on our decision or our works. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is from, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not because of works, so that no one may boast. If eternity were our decision, it would take away from faith being God's gift. And it would reduce the glory and the power of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Likewise, if eternity were our decision, it would also lead us to becoming proud and to boasting of our own accomplishments. But over and over and over again, the Bible reminds us how God has taken on this responsibility of saving mankind, put it upon Himself, and how He takes it so very, very seriously. The Bible also reminds us that the plan of salvation is the one that the Lord determined would be best to save us from fiery punishment of eternal death. Not our plan. Not our decision. Not our reward. As Paul wrote to St. Titus, when God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Believers are born again, and they are saved by the mercy and the grace of God alone. And so it is that infants and young children, teens and even adults, are brought to the Lord's font to be baptized. Faithful parents or other family members bring them. Or the Word and the Spirit lead them to faith and they come here by God's work and God's guidance. This is the first and beautiful way that believers are saved by grace. Those who were once held viciously in the tight grasp of Satan are now placed into the gentle, loving hands of God the Father Almighty. Sins are washed away by God's powerful Word working through the water. And from that point forward, the lives of sinners who have been saved are drastically different. We no longer wear the red evil cape of Satan. Instead, we are covered with the white robe of Christ's righteousness. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, Paul told the Galatians. This is another miracle. God the Father, 
the very one who at Jesus' baptism and again at his transfiguration calls Jesus his son, now calls all believers, that's all of us, his children. Imagine that. How blessed then is every believer to have been born again by the washing of the water with the living and enduring word of God. All of this happens as the miracle of faith, a miracle which takes place solely by the power of God and the working of the Holy Spirit occurs in the sinful hearts of mankind. This rebirth happens without our decision. Yes, mankind can make a decision concerning eternity, but only a poor decision. He can reject the offered salvation. But God wants all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. God would that none would perish. But man's decision is often to turn away and to choose eternal destruction rather than eternal life. Thank God that by His power, He does make sinners into saints. He does change unbelievers into believers. As the same St. John who wrote our gospel account today had also written in his first epistle, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thanks be to God that this love has come to you. Thanks be to God that His Son has come into the world. Thanks be to Him that His Holy Spirit has reached you, calling, enlightening, and enlivening your dead spiritual being, giving you faith, sanctifying you, and equipping you with everything you need for the praise of the Lord and service to neighbors both near and far. Rejoice that He continues to serve you, giving you His holy absolution, His preaching, His teaching, His assurance, and His sacrament, His body and blood for your forgiveness, your salvation, your strength, and your hope. God so loved the world in that particular way and with that deep, unfathomable love that he sent his only begotten Son. In the name of that Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.